What happens when you take a redneck fishing guide and pair him up with a master beekeeper? Well, we're about to find out. Join our host, Ken Milam and John Swan, as they help you brave the sting of beekeeping to reap the sweet rewards. This is The Hive Jive. Are you going to introduce this, this segment of the Hive Jive? What are we doing today? What do you got us in here for, John? We're, we're trying to recover from daylight savings time. <laughs> now, tell me, do the bees, do they lose an hour or gain an hour? No, the bees are smart. They know the sun comes up, you know, when the sun comes up. They don't try to alter it. <laughs> oh, so bees don't play golf? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, they don't. They don't need that extra hour of daylight. They, they just get up when the sun comes up and they stop working when it goes down. That's, is that, is that, that's... So all bees are Arizona bees? Because <laughs> they don't do daylight savings. Yeah, they savings. don't do daylight savings time. <laughs> now, different counties in Arizona do daylight saving time, but the whole state don't do daylight savings time. That makes it very confusing. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, oh well. I, I always do good with the, the fallback, and I really suck at the spring forward. <laughs> it, it strips yeah. my gears every time. Yeah. I don't like the losing the hour part, but... Yeah. If they would just pick one and leave it, I'd be fine with it. My body would adapt and I'd adjust. It'd, it'd be okay. And one of these days they will. Yeah. 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 So um, on today's episode okay. of the Hive Jive, yeah. we're going to do something we have never done before. We are going to actually have a giveaway for our listeners. And what are we giving away, hell? I'm not telling you yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we're going to give you. If y'all want to give us a call, we will give you away, hell. No, no, we won't. We won't give them away, hell. No. No. Um, we, we, we've got to give away. bees? We're not giving them bees. You're going to give a queen away? No. Well, hell. It's still too early for that kind of stuff okay. anyway. Um, but no, we're, we've got a giveaway. And so to find out what it is and how to enter, you'll have to stay tuned. And we will give you all those details at the end of the episode. So you're, uh-huh. you, You've been in this radio business too long. You're doing a tease there. That's right. Oh, we're teasing y'all. If y'all stick around and listen to the whole show, we will tell you with what you're going to give you and how to get it. This is, is true. I mean, with modern technology, though, they can literally just fast forward to the end. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess you're right. Now, don't so, do it. You'll miss all the fun. When when we started this little adventure on the Hive Jive, and Ken is is working on getting into bees, the very first thing he started with was he wanted to do the Flow Hive. Yes, and I did. And mm-hmm. we started Still talking got, about. I got two of them. Yeah, you ended up with two because because why? Because yeah. <laughs> I read about them and I sounded, no, 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 no. and how, they sounded like it'd be fun. But how did you, you pull? Get, the, well, you pull the thing and you <laughs> screw the little spouts into there and you pull it and it twists it and honey just runs out. Yeah, but how'd you end up with two? <laughs> I screwed up on one I ordered. I thought I only ordered. Uh, I thought I didn't hadn't ordered it and I ordered one and then I ordered the other one. Yeah, he calls me up and he's like, okay, so uh, I've got this, uh, I've got a Langstroth coming and I've got two of the flow hives. I've got two Langstroths. Yeah, you've got two of the Langstroths as well. Ten and I was frame. like, whoa, 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 back up. How did you get two flow hives? Well, <laughs> screwed up. <laughs> So I'm gonna but, probably give them one of them to my son. When uh, when you started though, that was kind of your your thought, your impression. You were gonna do the flow hives, the flow hives. Yeah. But then you changed your mind and you decided after listening to me and watching stuff and reading online that you like the top bar. Well, the top bar makes more sense because why the reason I think it does is if you ever seen bees build comb in a cave, right? Uh, you know, and here around Austin, we have a little place called Bee Cave. We do. And Bee Cave 
is when my dad, we would go and take the bees out of those caves. And by the way, those are the meanest damn bees you've ever been around. <laughs> bees in a cave, it's a big old open cave. Them is some mean damn bees. <laughs> but it's like veils, the way they, they, they build in those caves. And we'd go in there and we'd just take a machete and cut the comb off and let it fall in a bucket. But and then when you got telling me about a top bar, I'm sitting there. Well, hell, that's the way they build in in nature, the way nature's supposed to be built. That's the way the bees are supposed to do. So I'm sitting there, well, with a top bar, I don't have to have a, a frame extractor. I don't have to cut the comb. I don't have to put it in the frame, spin it around, and get the honey out. All I go is pull the little top bars out, slice the comb off, let it fall in a bucket, and then get it to the house, put it, pour that into a bucket that has holes in the bottom of it. It strains out. Then I'll run it through the strainer, and then I have honey at the bottom. There you go. And I don't have to have an extractor. I don't have to have all this stuff. And it's the way I've done it since I was a kid. Yeah. So I'm sitting there, hell, that's easier. That's a lot easier than this other stuff. But it still works. Well, Based on that and all the research and stuff that you've been doing and all the questions that you have, mm -hmm. I actually have a surprise for you today. Mm -hmm. We have a special guest with us, and we have here Les Crowder. And Les Crowder, he's been keeping bees for over 40 years. He is a former New Mexico honeybee inspector and a former president of the New Mexico Beekeepers Association. He is the author of Top Bar Beekeeping. Oh, wow. Thank you. And he's traveled the world teaching natural beekeeping methods in other countries. And I've asked him to come in today so we could actually go through and pick his brain about top bars and beekeeping and the natural path of things. And I thought that you'd get a kick out of that. Oh, heck yeah. So... Welcome, Les. Thank Welcome. you. Thank you, John. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad. Well, I'm glad just, you could make it in. Yeah, heck yeah. We're just, uh, as you know, I know uh, it's something I have always wanted to be as a beekeeper. Mm -hmm. And the more I'm finding out, I'm sitting there, hell, this is like a bit. I've been a fishing guide since 1981. Wow. And, you know, when I started being a fishing guide, I said, oh, I'm just going to do something that I'm not having to work at. Right. Well, I'm sorry. Beekeeping, you having to work your butt off to. <laughs> do. Yeah, I just spent yesterday cutting top bars. I thought, you know, how many top bars have I cut in my life? A lot. Thousands. <laughs> you know, I remember one time cutting 1,500, and then I thought, that's it. I'm done. And then here I am <clears throat> cutting top bars. Well, when uh, Ken and I started the podcast, we went through and we kind of did a, a background of how each of us got into beekeeping or why we wanted to be in beekeeping. So um, if you could tell us, how did you get started in beekeeping, Les? Well, when I was a little kid, I was always fascinated with insects. And I, for some reason, had a particular interest in the flying, stinging insects, mm -hmm. which, you know, they, they sparked a lot of fear in me, just like anybody but I, I remember one in particular, I saw this wasp flying through the air, and it was dragging a long filament. And it, it, it attracted me, and I, I followed it with my eye. And I was a bit dyslexic or ADD or whatever, you know. But I was real good at certain things. I couldn't read, though. Mm -hmm. But I watched that wasp, and it went to my mom's peach tree. And it started hugging the peach tree with its antenna. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it kind of got excited and went around in a figure eight 
and it started boring that, that long filament on its abdomen into the tree. And I thought, shoot, it's stinging my mom's tree. I should probably swat it. But I thought, wait a minute, I got a bug book, and I'm going to, uh, insects of North America or whatever. Mm. I think I, I saw that in there somewhere. So I ran up, got the book, I found a picture of it. Turned out it was, it had sensed a peach tree borer inside the tree. It was shoving its ovipositor oh, into the borer. It was going to shoot an egg into it. The egg was going to hatch and eat the peach tree borer. Yeah. And then hatches another, like, numid wasp. And I was so glad I didn't sweat it because it was actually saving my mom's uh-huh. peach tree. And I, you know, nature is so cool. I just love all these creatures. And on, on that note, that's what's bad around yeah. uh, in our world now. The world has got so much smaller. Uh, here in our freshwater, we have invasive species, zebra mussels, and then, of course, guaga mussels, and they're an invasive species. Right. And then when John told me that bees are an invasive species, too, <laughs> along with feral pigs, I'm sitting there, well, okay, but invasive. Yeah. But bees are an invasive species, but they were brought here by the monks to make to get candles, Wax to make candles and honey to make mead. And they have been worked for so many hundreds and hundreds of not thousands of years that we know so much about them and then we don't. Yeah. That's what's so fun about bees. Right. We'll never figure them all out. We think we know a lot, but there's always mysteries, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nature is full of mystery. But, uh, and that's what's so wonderful about all of this. And there's folks like you that's been in it your basically your entire life. You've been yeah. doing bees for forty years. Over yeah. forty years, yeah. Over yeah, forty yeah. years. And you've made a bunch of top bars. I've made yeah. <laughs> so I started off as a as a kid. Well, I, I wound up getting in trouble. I won't go into all the details, but my dad lived on the Navajo reservation uh-huh. and he built <clears throat> dams, he spoke Navajo. And I spent a lot of time out there and we got to drinking too much, just to be perfectly blunt. And I was 14. My mom decided that's not going to work. She sent me to a ranch in Colorado. And the cowboys up on the ranch, there were two groups. There was the Mexican vaqueros and the white cowboys. The white cowboys didn't like me because I had long hair. Mm-hmm. And they called me, a. this was in the 70s, a blankety-blank hippie, you know. Oh, yeah, you're a hippie. Yeah. And they tried to rope me off my horse and shear me with sheep shears. And I was scared. You know, I was a 14-year-old kid. And the Mexicans, I spoke a little Spanish. Mexicans kind of protected me, and I said, okay, I'm a Mexican. I'd rather be a Mexican. <laughs> but I came home to my mom, and I was trying to get my head straight, and all my old goofy buddies wanted me to go party with them. And I was like, I don't know. I'm tired of hitting my head with that brick. And I'd not mess with any alcohol or anything for several, almost a year. Yeah. And um, But they were on their way, and my grandpa came to me, and he said, Les, there's a swarm of bees out back. And I said, what's that? I had no idea. And we walked out back there, and there was a basketball-sized clump of bees on a little pine tree. Mm-hmm. I was like, holy crap, that's so amazing. That is so... And I could smell it. It smelled oh, yeah. like bread a little bit or something. Something in me just opened up in my heart. It just said, that's what I got to do. This is... I'm supposed to do this. And my mom had gotten a beehive, but no bees in it. Never did put any bees in it. Uh-huh. My grandpa said, let's put them in your mom's box. So we, we didn't know how. 
and there were all those frames in it. So we took them out because the bees wouldn't fit. We didn't think, see how they'd fit. <laughs> so we cut the branch and lowered the whole thing very trepidatiously into the box, put the lid on it, and then we, I was carrying it, and I could feel it humming in my chest. And it just felt so good. It felt like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do. And my buddies drove up, and they opened their car door, and I could smell stale beer and cigarette and marijuana smoke or whatever, and I was like, there's no way I'm getting in that car. That car is death warmed over, and I am not getting in that car. They're like, hey, dude, let's go party. And I said, guys, I got to go to the library and get a book about bees. <laughs> Once they realized what was in the box, they started shaking themselves and brushing. Okay, well, we'll see you later. And they quick got in the car and shut the door and drove off. And I was like, yeah, I just felt like a door opened. And that's the way, the way I went, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because that's my, I didn't have an experience like that, but my dad, we would go rob trees, rob the bee trees all the time. Right. And, of course, pull them out of the caves. Uh, my dad was raised in this part of the world here around central Texas. Right. So he knew where all the caves were. And anytime, and now cave bees, have you ever been around bees in caves? A, a little bit. In New Mexico, we had what we called the Spanish bees that would be in little niches or... Mm -hmm. And sometimes pretty fierce little bees. They're mean little bees. Let yeah. me tell you, they will. Yeah, them boogers are mean. And he'd go up in those caves and cut the comb off the, the top of the cave. Now he'd always leave a bunch of it there. He would never take it all. Right. And uh, you know, in trees, because we we have cut the tree down. Well, most of the time we didn't cut them completely down. We left. He'd just cut a hole where the bees. He knew the honey would be. By the way, if you're ever doing bee trees, a chainsaw, the vibration of a chainsaw for some reason will put those bees on the ground. Oh. Do you ever know that, John? <laughs> the vibration and the noise and the smoke of a chainsaw, those bees will land. Dangest huh. thing I ever seen. <clears throat> when we used to sit, hit that damn tree with an axe, that just made them mad. Oh, yeah, you shake the tree and they all come out after you. But then we took a chainsaw and started using the chainsaws. See that there, you can have the opposite response to that too, though, because they don't like the carbon dioxide and the the exhaust from a gas powered anything. Mm -hmm. And if you're cutting on the tree and it's not necessarily right exactly where the hive is, but it still vibrates the hive, they will not only be mad, but they will follow that exhaust back to the chainsaw, and you're going to get nailed. <laughs> so <laughs> that's been more my experience than the other way. Um, but I actually, I want to go back real quick because you were okay. talking about the, the bees in the caves being meaner and than the bees that were actually inside of a cavity. And I wonder if that's more just not, they have to be because they're exposed. Well, yeah. They, they're Could actually, well yeah, they're out there yeah. where anything can get them. So they've got to be on more defensive rather than when they're <clears throat> trapped down inside of a small box. And they probably used to be bears here. Oh, and, yes. And then... Their bears and bees have a long history of Winnie the Pooh. They don't play well together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John Dunn told me, he says, you don't have black uh, bee suits. They're all white right. with a black veil. And he says, all the bees come to the veil. Yeah, they do. They right. all go towards the black. Black is bear. We can see out of the black veil easier than we can the other colors. But yeah, right. to a bee, a big black thing is a bear. I bet. And that's not a good. We had black bears <laughs> here because uh, I've got 
Well, I won't get into telling the stories. I know I start using time. Up, no, but. no, that's all good. So Les actually did commercial beekeeping, uh, worked for a commercial beekeeping operation, and they all did Langstroth for quite a while. So obviously you wrote the book on top bar beekeeping. So what caused you to transition from that traditional commercial yeah. box and the Langstroth box over to the top bar? Well, there was a number of things. When I started keeping bees with that hive that I, my grandpa and I found, I'd be real careful about lifting the combs up and not crushing any bees. When I went to work for the commercial beekeeper, we didn't have time for that. There was 4,000 hives, and mm -hmm. like we'd go set a box on top of another box, just be festooned with bees, and we'd just crunch and squish about 500 bees. Yeah. And I'd feel like, oh, that's terrible, but we didn't have time to do anything about it. So that disillusioned me a little bit. And then I started reading where when the comb gets old, it starts getting dark in color. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that they're, the baby bee, when it's born, it won't defecate. Because if it did, it'd be defecating in its own dinner plate because it just right, right. swirls around in the bottom of the cell and eats. So it doesn't. And then right before it spins its cocoon and turns into a bee, it straightens up, defecates on the bottom of the cell, and then spins that silk on top. And the silk stays in the comb even after it emerges. And they rub a little propolis in it to clean it. And then another bee is born. And then it defecates and spins its cocoon. And over time, those cells get filled with cocoons and that little bit of defecation. And it, it turns out it's bad for bees to stay in the same old comb year after year. After about five years, they should get in a new comb. And in what I found, too, in working for people that, helping people get bees out of their sheds and things, I'd see sometimes a very vibrant colony full of bees and good queen laying good eggs. But there'd be a section of hive somewhere with old black comb mm -hmm. full of wax moths. And I realized that the bees were letting the wax moths eat the old black comb. And they weren't they were going to go back in there and clean them out and build new comb. So the wax moths were actually like urban renewal, going in there and wrecking the old comb. And, and then the bees, and the, the bees were actually working with them. Mm -hmm. They weren't the enemy of the bees. Yeah, I call them nature's cleanup crew. Yeah, exactly. They're like buzzards. Kind of. Yeah. 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 They're taking care of the waste and getting rid of the old stuff. And so how do you renew your comb in a Langstroth hive? You take the the um, the, the comb out, mm -hmm. you brush all the bees off it, extract the honey out. Then you got to scrape and clean out that old wax. Mm -hmm. Half the time you have to repair the frame mm -hmm. and then put in new foundation. It's a lot of work. And I read about this guy in Africa that was making what he called Kenya top bar hives and that they were making their own comb. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool because there's no frame and the frames are such a pain in the butt. So I experimented with it, and I built a few of them, and I liked them, but I, I didn't use them. I was, had a little business of about 200 Langstroth hives, and I, I kept those, and I called my top bar hives my experimental hives. But then I got to thinking, you know, these are working pretty darn good. And one year I lost a bunch of bees to the varroa mite because I was determined not to use miticide. <clears throat> so I, I, um, I noticed one year I lost almost all my Langstroth mm -hmm. hives. My top bar hives... Few of them survived, and I thought, well, how, what am I going to do now? I, I don't have any money. My old Langstroth equipment's getting pretty old, 
it's full of nails and glue and I can't really mm-hmm. keep repairing it. And so I thought, you know, I'm just, these Topper hives are so cheap to make. I'm, it, they cost me back then about 10 bucks to buy the lumber mm-hmm. to make them. <clears throat> so I thought, I'll just build 30 top bar hives and then I'll get bees in them and I'll make them work. And then when I make enough money, I'll buy new Langstroth equipment. Mm-hmm. By the end of the year, I made about $6,000. I thought, well, now I could buy a Langstroth equipment. And I thought, but I could also buy a car. And <laughs> <clears throat> what do I need this Langstroth equipment for? These hives are working fine. As a matter of fact, they're making a profit quicker because they're they don't cost me anything. Right. So I made more lengths, more top bar hives, and basically I never looked back. I I thought, you know, I'm so done with frames, and then I I noticed a few things. A lady called me who believed in small cell size, from Arizona, D. Lusby, and she said, I want you to measure what size of cell they're making, and what I noticed was that there were some big cells at the top. And they seemed to get a little smaller towards the bottom center. So I measured up at the top because I thought that's what she wanted. And I was trying to please her, you know. Mm-hmm. So I measured and they were pretty big. And I told her about it. And she said, well, that's, your bees don't know what the blankety blank they're doing. She hung up on me. I was like, what in the heck? My bees are, don't you be putting down my bees. <laughs> so I went and I measured and the bottom ones were considerably smaller. Mm-hmm. And then I called her back and I told her, she said, yeah, they're mongrel bees. They can't even make up their own mind. <laughs> and I thought, well, they have made up their mind and they want all of that. They, what's, who am I to tell them what size of cell to build? Mm-hmm. And who is she to tell them what size of cell to build? Let's just let them build whatever they want. They're not telling me what size of shoe to wear. Mm-hmm. And she wanted us to regress them into little cell size. I thought, well, let's regress you into little shoes, lady. <laughs> But, you know, I, her and I get along fine. I don't mean to, yeah. you know, she's got her ideas and right. we, we get along fine. But um, that that just set me off on this saying of, let's let bees be bees. And let's not micromanage them. And no wonder they're having trouble if we keep putting t- poison in the hive and making them live in plastic and stuff. Right. Why not just let them live in na- as natural as possible? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What was the, when you first started off and you were doing that uh, kind of like Kenya style top bar, what were the size of the bars? Yeah, you know, I, the article I read, it gave no dimensions, so I had to just kind of guess. And the picture showed something that with considerably more vertical sides than, than what I have now. And I started off with that, and then I made a barrel hive. Actually, I made a wicker willow one, and a friend of mine saw me, and he said, that's too much work. And he made me some barrel hives out of the plastic blue barrels cut long ways so they were half circle combs. And what I noticed was that with the, with those hives, the bees would 100% attach the comb to the walls until the comb got to be more like the floor. And then they wouldn't attach it. The attachment is a lot of work because you got to cut it loose before you lift the comb up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll tear it mm-hmm. if you don't. Right, yeah. and there's always bees in the way. So you can't just go squish, squish. You have to kind of bump them out of the way and get them out of the way gently. So it takes a little time. So that if you could make it wide enough that they wouldn't attach it very much by angling that side out, that would help a little bit. And then I, did, I was going through um, University of New Mexico getting my degree in biology and I was taking a calculus class and I ran a quick um, calculation on what would be the maximum volume for my three boards, one for the bottom and the two sides. And it turned out that the maximum volume 
was 120 degrees. I thought, well, that's interesting. That's right about where they quit attaching it, the tangent on that half bar- on the half barrel. And then I realized that's the interior angle of a hexagon. Right. That's the shape that they naturally build all their stuff in anyway. So I thought, well, that's, I'm going to try that. And I tried it, and I liked it. I, I, it gave me a longer top bar, which gave them better attachment. In other words, you're hanging comb full right. of honey on a frame. It's kind of like a cow, because I raised goats and cows when I was a kid and milked them, you know. Mm-hmm. And the well-attached udder, you know, as opposed to a pendulous udder, well, I realized that a well-attached top bar had value because you didn't want it to, as you lifted it up, it for it to break off mm-hmm. right. and go plat down on the floor and squish a bunch of bees and lose a bunch of honey. So that's what I wound up with, you know. And I'm there's no standard top bar, and I'm convinced that mine are the best, and so is everybody else. But <laughs> I actually I have to agree though because the 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 final <clears throat> dimensions on like in your book and stuff the plans and things that you have you end up with a 19 inch top bar, right? And that 19 inch bar conveniently fits into if you have to don't grow them in there. But they conveniently fit into a Langstroth box or like a Nuke box. So if you want to carry or transport the comb, that bar will fit in there. But don't put the bar in there and grow it because the bees will build the comb out to the shape of the space. And if they build it out to that square box, you're going to wind up right back where he started, where he was saying they'll attach it to everything mm-hmm. and you won't be able to get it out of there. So, But I like that. It, it works well. Um, in my experience, I, I, I have seen for some godforsaken reason people build 14 and 16 inch top bars. And I cannot figure out why, <laughs> but yeah. but I've seen some of those. I've had to work with a couple of people um, east of Austin in regards to that. And then uh, 17 inch and 19 inch, those seem to be kind of your two primary sizes, basically. And on the 17s, I found that, you know, the main argument for it is, oh, but you've got this observation window in there and the sides are at the right angle where you can see in that window. But that kind of goes back to you're doing what's better for you, not necessarily what's better for the bees. And on the 17 inch top bars, more times than not, the bees still attach to the sides of the wall and the comb breaks more often than it does in in the the 19 inch ones. In the 19 inch top bars that I do, I don't ever have them attached to the sides. And it's rare that a comb breaks and falls. And usually when it does, it's because I've done something stupid, not because it had too much weight in a small area of attachment. So right. it actually, it, just, it was like kismet. It just worked out. You've got this 19 inch bar. It just conveniently creates the inner dimensions of the hexagon inside your top bar hive. Um, it's just really, it worked out. It was really cool. I think in particular here with Texas heat in the summer, yes, it gets you hot. want well attached comb because it gets soft. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed in South Carolina, they're the ones that have a lot of the 16-inch, 16-and-a-half-inch. I don't know why, but uh, I've been just noticing in uh, South Carolina, over in that part of the world, they have the narrower top bars. <laughs> and I've asked them, there's one guy who makes a beautiful top bar. And I say, hey, would you make me somebody? I want mine 19 inches. And no, I'm not set up for that. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, why don't you try it? Because I do my thing, and that's yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. Yep. Everybody yeah. has a better top bar hive. That's yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I've seen some really bad ones that had like eight-inch top bars. Eight-inch? It went out. The comb, it was like made out with masonite, so it could bend. And it was probably, oh, 15 inches wide at the center, uh-huh. and then went down to, it was sort of, 
There was no way in heck you could ever get the comb out. Right, because it, it's wider below the base, yeah. Yeah, and you'd have to, like, cut it loose and then turn it sideways and try to lift it out. And it was like, well, and it was almost foot and a half deep. Good yeah. That this, this is not, terrible. Not going to work. So, yeah, <laughs> we all have our own designs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I agree with yours. I like yours. Um, that's what I based mine off of. And I just made a couple of tiny little modifications basically for my own ease of assembly really was all. Right. And other than that, the dimensions are the same. The bars are the same. And, and I love it. They work out great. And doing removals and having lots of hives and all this other stuff. I don't have a small warehouse where I can store all the extra stuff that comes along with a Langstroth hive and the extra boxes and the extra <clears throat> frames. And that's one of the things I love about the top bar is it's one and done. You have your hive, you have your bars. You don't have to take boxes off in the winter. You don't have to store frames. <clears throat> it's all right there. It's all self-contained and they do great. I might say that there's one thing there that to me is very important now and that is that when I worked for that commercial beekeeper, we would store the supers in a warehouse. There's no supers in a top bar hive. I stored those supers, 35,000 of them. And I, what he did is he, so there's the wax moth. Well, they'll eat those supers because they're in the combs. And so you have to fumigate them to kill the wax moth. And so I, it was my job. He'd send me in there with a paper mask and I'd stack five supers put down a paper towel, squirt a chemical on there that smelled real strong and went right through my paper mask. And then I'd put a newspaper and five supers and paper towel and chemical and I'd do that for weeks. And I came out of there and my breath would smell that chemical for hours. So I'd absorbed it into my body. Mm -hmm. Finally, one day I cleaned up around the barrel and it had a skull and crossbones on it. <laughs> and I thought, what in the heck? And so I asked my boss, and this is right about the time I was getting ready to, I was getting tired of that job. Mm -hmm. And I asked him about that skull and crossbones. He said, oh, heck, they says it'll cause cancer, but it won't hurt you none. <laughs> and what I realized, it was ethylene dibromide, very du durable. Like, it won't right. ever come out of you. And it's very carcinogenic. And it gets in water. They, they banned it from all, it's now completely banned from mm -hmm. all use. But back then, we didn't know any better. And that became a big impetus to me. If there's a way to get out of storing supers, I'm going to do it because you either nowadays you're supposed to use or paradichlorobenzene mothballs. Well, that's that's naphthalene. That's basically a, again a, a carcinogen mm -hmm. based on benzene, and it's not good. So we can do without all that poison. Yeah, the the less we can put into our food supply and into everything else, then the better we are all the way around. Just let things be the way they're supposed to be naturally. I agree. I, that, that's, and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing and, and trying to learn all this stuff. And uh, John has been around me enough to know that when I really decide this is what I'm going to do, I don't do nothing in a small way. Okay. Nope. <laughs> okay. Okay. I made 300 crossbars the other day. And I know the guy we're coming over, my helper's coming. Uh, he says, are we making 300 more? I says, maybe. 
I don't know yet. <laughs> Since John told me, I don't have to put spline in all of yeah, them. Yeah, when when we yeah. started off, the concept was Ken was going to do five. The flow hive. No, no, no. no you I'm had three. Flow hive. You were going to three. You had yeah. he was going to do the flow hive. Yeah. And a Langstroth, which is basically the same thing, but you could see the difference in how the extraction <clears throat> works. Right. And a top bar. That way, he would have kind of a well-rounded knowledge, and he yeah. could see what he liked and what he wanted. Well. We haven't even gotten to the point where he's received his bees yet. No. And when, when we were doing the pre-orders and stuff, he was like, well, I need three of these and I need four of those. And I was like, whoa, it's like, just hold up three hives. And he's like, well, I've already got five of them ordered and there's yeah, this many over here. And I'm like, good Lord. <laughs> but I haven't ordered my cathedral yet. <laughs> oh, those things are so pretty, but they're expensive. Yeah, they uh, are. This is a like offside tangent, but there is a hexagon shaped hive that you can buy that goes in your house and mounts on your wall and it's an observation oh, type hive okay and they interlock together to form whatever art type piece you want and then there's a tube that goes you have to bore a hole through your wall yeah but goes outside so they can get in and out right they're like six hundred dollars a section mm-hmm. <laughs> right and i was like they're so cool but no i mm. i know the guy that invented the cathedral hive but you know you can do that with any top bar hive mm-hmm. put a glass side and then put it inside your house and what I always found fascinating was in Afghanistan they build their adobe houses right Mm -hmm. the mud houses and then in the kitchen you'd go up about waist high put little tubes in the walls and then just keep building up these tubes are made out of reeds plastered with mud inside and they were beehives and then you just keep building them up and you'd plug the end both ends but put a little hole in the outside end, and the back end would have a soft plug that you could take out. And then get bees in there. And then you, in the right time of year, when the frankincense is a bush that makes the frankincense uh-huh. resin that, that they gave to baby Jesus or yeah, whatever. Yeah, for your incense. <clears throat> yeah, it smells real good, and it's real healing. It's really good for your skin. But it, they, when that blooms, it makes really good honey. Really? And so when you knew that was done blooming, you'd open up. And smoke the hives in your kitchen from the back, inside your kitchen. And you'd reach in there with a little spoon and a, on a handle and a knife and cut the combs loose. They'd fall onto the spoon. And these, by the way, these hives show in the Egyptian hieroglyphics. They're ancient, ancient style of beehive. And you'd pull that back and kind of brush the bees, keep them in the hive and out of your kitchen. And squeeze that right into your baklava and have fresh honey right in your kitchen. That's cool. Now, are these the same kind of bees? Yeah. Like a, a European honeybee? Yeah. But they're... Some, sometimes they're using Apis serana in, this, in like Pakistan and so forth. But it's, So it's a different species of bee. But other places they're using Apis mellifera. And they would build in the, in the walls of their house. Well, in a, in a tube. <clears throat> In they'd, a tube, okay. Yeah. They'd make a tube that that's how they make beehives. I've seen those tubes online. Yeah. <laughs> and they also make a molded wood kind of a thing. Yeah, you. I've seen some pictures of the ones where they're wooden and it's a round tube. Yeah. And I've often wondered why. Like, I look at them and I'm like... Uh, that looks complicated, but when you explain that you know it's in the side of the house yeah. and they're, they're going through and they're doing that, that's a whole. No, different, it makes yeah, that, sense. That makes total okay. sense. That's cool. Well, the ancient Egyptians used to make a whole bunches of those tubes, put bees in them, put them on a barge, and okay. float them up and down the Nile River to follow the bloom. Like yeah. once the bloom stopped in the upper reaches, they'd move it down to something else that bloomed 
harvest the honey and move them at night, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and then just let them sit in that barge. They wouldn't take them off. And they just, and you could stack those tubes, like put them in a line together and mm-hmm. then put another stack on top. And you could put 20 of them in one wow. little yeah. pallet like or so something. So it's you know? sort of like the, the almond growers hiring, hiring the guys to run over there to. to <laughs> right, that's, right. That's very similar to in the old days how they used to do the Tupelo honey. Because the Tupelo only grows in the swampy areas in Louisiana and Florida, and uh. they would put the beehives on a barge, and, and Tupelo blooms for a very short period, mm-hmm. so they'd get them out there and they'd just float them through the swamp. Isn't and that honey that good? Oh yeah, and it never crystallizes. It won't crystallize. Nope. It it has got the right composition to where it does not crystallize. It will stay in a liquid form. It's almost got kind of a, a like a hint of a greenish cast or mm-hmm. sheen to it. Um, but it's it's an amazing flavor. It's very floral, and you know, just like anything, certain times of the year there can be a higher price mark on it. But it is it is for us. It's one of the most expensive honeys in the U.S. Why won't fall honey crystallize? Fall honey will crystallize, but it just depends. It's all about what's in it. You've got fructose and glucose inside mm-hmm. there. Sometimes there's a little bit of dextrose, but all of that is basically the derivatives and breakdowns of sucrose. It's all sugar. And depending on how much of one versus the other is there depends on if it's going to crystallize, how quickly it'll crystallize, and the size of crystals that it will actually form when it does. Some is smooth, some's big and chunky like rock candy. Um, it just kind of depends. But yeah, fall honey will crystallize. The The mesquite honey here mm-hmm. crystallizes kind of quicker than anything for us, for, for our region. Um, but each of them, they have their own thing. And then temperature also is another thing. So if it's above 75 degrees and you're storing it somewhere, it'll stay liquid longer. But if it's below that, it's going to crystallize quicker. If you put it in your fridge, it'll crystallize extremely quickly. But in an odd caveat to that, if you take liquid honey and put it in the freezer, it goes into suspended animation and it won't freeze and it won't crystallize. And then you can take it back out and set it on the counter. It warms back up and it's still liquid honey that you can use. So if you ever need to store honey, store it in your freezer. Don't put it in your fridge. Really? Random tangent mm-hmm. off to the side. Oh, um, yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> so um, <laughs> Les, Les has uh, traveled the world and taught beekeeping in different countries mm. and stuff. So I'm just curious, out of all of your travels, what has been the your favorite destination, your favorite place that you've been at when you were doing these well, I, re- I really like Jamaica. There's parts of Jamaica that, like, if, if you do the touristy thing, it's kind of scary and I wouldn't like it because mm-hmm. they practically want your wallet and they're going to give you a Bob Marley cup made in China that you don't particularly want. Mm-hmm. But, but if you get out in the countryside, the people are so bright and so friendly and, I don't know, I just love the vibe of Jamaica. Also, I speak a lot of Spanish. I've hang, hung out with a lot of Sp- Latin American people in Ecuador, Peru, Mexico. And I like Mexican culture, or Hispanic culture a lot, but it has that undertone of Catholicism. And what I found in Jamaica was that the undertone isn't Christian-based, and I don't mean to put that, that's all, that's mm-hmm, good, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but there's, a, there's a freedom there. It's just, and I really like Jamaica. Wound up, of course, marrying a Jamaican. Yeah, he's not biased. His wife came no, from Jamaica. Like, yeah. <laughs> At some point, there was a, I was talking to Jamaican beekeepers, and they said, well, if you breed queens, do you breed the color? And I said, no, I don't care about the color. You know, as long as they're gentle and they make a lot of honey, right. that's all I care about. And they said, yeah, but if, if, if they were gentle and, 
and there was some darker and lighter. I said, well, I kind of like the black queens. They said, yeah, we can kind of tell. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but, and, you know, the more I get into this stuff, yeah, the more I get into this stuff, uh, I mean, bees are, there's so much science involved. But then there's not. Yeah, there's science, and then there's just the heart. So there's a lot of good. And we we've learned a lot about how they communicate, how they fit in the the world, mm-hmm. how they pollinate. You know, for instance, their pollination. A lot of the work of pollination occurs in the beehive. So if you watch a bee on a on an apple tree, mm-hmm. she doesn't go from the pollinator tree back to the other tree, back and forth and back and forth. That'd be way too much work. She's trying to get a bunch of nectar and pollen, and she just goes from one flower to the other on her tree. Right. How is she pollinating that tree with pollen from the other trees? Well, it turns out that when she goes back, she goes back to the hive covered in the pollen Mm -hmm. from her tree. Mm -hmm. Well, all the bees are going back from all the trees covered in pollen from their tree, and in the hive they mix and stir around, and they get covered with all the pollen from all the trees in the neighborhood. Then when they go back to their tree, they're pollinating every flower with all the pollen from all the neighborhood. So it's these kinds of things are so cool. But then the other thing to keep in mind is that beyond all that sort of biological science, there's just the beauty of it and the oh, yeah. sort of the heart of it to see, you know, to say, I respect you guys. I love you guys in my own way. And I'm, I'm going to wear a bee veil and I'm going to be careful. I'm going to try not to crush bees. I'm going to take a few stings and I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to be in a relationship together. Mm -hmm. This is like me relating to you bees in a respectful fashion. Right. Same as with a dog or a horse or any other animal that you get in a relationship with. And you can do that with bees, you know. It's very cool. <clears throat> oh, it is. Oh, the more I learn about these things, it just it just blows me away. So, what would you say, Les, is your favorite aspect of beekeeping itself? I mean that that right there kind of tells a lot mm-hmm. in what you just said. So, yeah. out of all of it, what is what is the part that just gets you every time you're out there? You know, some of my most peaceful time is standing near a neat beehive with not necessarily even my veil on not any intention of going Uh in there but just standing there hearing them buzz and watching them because they're like an octopus with thousands of little Uh fingers going out to all these flowers and coming back and they're sort of like tying everything together Uh and they tie me they help me connect to other people and other creatures I started when I was a kid I thought I really liked nature but I was kind of bored with plants they seemed kind of boring and then I realized well you got to know about plants you got to figure out which kind of flowers are which and they, they helped me connect and realize how everything is connected and I, I remember once in particular my grandpa that helped me catch those bees got sick and he was dying of cancer and there was a moment when he was in bed and his irises were in bloom and I, I went and I told him grandpa your iris are in full bloom you ought to try to get outside and see him. So he got in his walker and he was very feeble and he got out there and he said, I don't think you watered him enough. And I said, okay, Grandpa. So I drug him a hose and he started watering him. 
And I'm standing there at that hose baby. Well, that hose baby is where he and I used to, when I was about six, we made a worm bed there and we were feeding worms. And then a mint patch got started there. A mint plant took it over and it was all mint flowers. And by then I had five beehives and one of them, they were all jet black bees. They were like the old German or mm -hmm. Spanish bee, the Iberian bee. And I saw this jet black bee come and start sipping nectar out of a mint flower. I thought, wait a minute, I know where that bee lives. That's one of my bees. <laughs> and at that moment, I started thinking, and the worms are still there, and the mint that Grandpa and I grew, and I don't know what's going to happen to him, but he's going to be fine. I mean, he's going to die. Yeah. But we're all going to die. Oh, yeah. And we're going to be fine. And I felt like it was like a religious moment for me where the sun and the moon and the worms and the bees we're all connected. And that to me was like, wow, this is so cool. Life is just full of vibrant energy and it never goes out. Yeah. It changes, it ends and it begins again. And I don't know how it all, I don't claim to know. I, I'm happy to admit I don't know how it all works, but it works. You know, and that's kind of what we, we tell people. If you like to eat, yeah. you have to have peace. What, why, and I, oh, well, we eat meat. Oh, but what does the cow eat? Exactly. The cow eats grass. Well, yeah. Man, what do you have to have to make grass grow, to pollinate? Yeah. Bees. Yeah. Oh, I like fruit. Oh, well, what do you have to have to pollinate? Bees. Yeah. So, yeah. It's yeah. all tied together. Everything yeah. in the world is tied together. Exactly. Yeah. Wow, I, there's a couple extra things on my piece of paper, but I honestly, I'm not even going to attempt to follow that up. So <laughs> that, that was that that was a perfect, just all encompassing, great statement. Um, wow, thank you, Les. I appreciate yeah. you, uh, think, you coming in and, and talking to us and sharing your wisdom man. and and uh, your love for the bees. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate your energy. A lot of people, you helping run the Travis County Beekeepers group and everything and a lot of people's well i know john i said oh good you're in good hands then oh thanks so yeah <laughs> well you know it's funny how i met john uh callahan's here oh yeah they they gave me his phone number you know, i said well i want to get to be minister oh here you need this guy they gave me his phone number good. i called him up we got talking and he used to be in radio business when he was a younger guy uh -huh. and uh, so we got talking and that's how we've got the hive jive started and it's just an adventure, and this is what I we, we tell everybody: who, if you want to learn about bees, get on the journey with me. And John's going to point us in the right direction, and then he brings people in that know so much, and like you, that you've lived your life doing this, and it's such a wonderful thing. And it is, I mean, it's such a wonderful thing. Thank you so very much, Les and John. Thank you again. This has been a a blessing. It has. It has indeed. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you. Enjoyed you got meeting you guys. So we are, you know, I, I told you at the beginning of the episode that we oh, were going to be doing away. our first ever giveaway. And, Did I get and it? Ken is, Can I win it? Ken is biting at the... <laughs> 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 okay, so... Um, as I've mentioned in here, Les actually literally wrote the book Top Bar Beekeeping. What are you giving a book and away? It's mine. We, no, it's, uh, we ain't giving away. It's mine. <laughs> you can't have it. It's my it. book. <laughs> I tell you what, I did purposely get two of them. Oh. So you can have one. Okay. 
but the other one you cannot have. Okay. Because <laughs> I knew. Uh, no, so we are going to give away a, an actual, I'm going to ask Les to be kind enough to give us a signed copy. And we are going to give away a signed copy of Les Crowder's book, Top Bar Beekeeping. And the way that you will enter for this, there are three steps that you need to do. Number one, if you have not already done so, you need to go on to Instagram and follow us on Instagram. That's the first thing. We'll check and make sure that you're on there. The second thing is jump over to Facebook, like us on Facebook. And while you're on Facebook, the third step is leave a comment. And in that comment, tag a friend who either loves bees or is interested in getting started in beekeeping. And we will go through and from all of the entries from everybody who's completed those three steps, we will randomly select a winner and we will mail you the signed copy of Les Crowder's Top Bar Beekeeping. Wow. Wow. That's pretty good. So there you go. That's how you do it. Mine going to be signed. I don't know. I mean, yeah. he's he's sitting right I'll here. Come so by. Oh, okay. We well, can we'll we can signed. probably work that <laughs> yeah. out for you. It'll be signed. So that is what we have for you guys for this episode. And uh, so let's see. Technically, this episode will air on March. I think it's March 18th. Mm-hmm. Let me look at the calendar here real quick. What is today? So, yes. Okay. So, March 18th is when this actually goes live. Okay. And we will give you from March 18th through March 24th um, to go through and get those submissions and everything in. And then once they are in on the 25th, we will have a bonus episode that we will put out and we will announce the winner and be in contact with you so we can get you your book. There you go. And we'll, t- and we'll tell you why you need to be re- using top bar hives. <laughs> I think we've we've well laid the groundwork on that one. But we so. didn't even talk about barrels. We didn't really talk no. about the barrels, no. But, uh, well, he did. He mentioned that well, he, yeah. he had the barrels cut in half. So that's uh, that's kind of where Ken got the idea to build his swarm traps. He built them all out of barrels and put the bars on them. Yep, I have. Cool. And they're going to make great ones. Except the blue barrels. The damn things are too long. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, ah, listen, where'd you find this guy? <laughs> All right, well, we we will wrap it up for now. So thank you guys for tuning in and joining us, and we will catch you on the next episode of The Hive Jive. Hey, y'all, y'all tune in, family. We have way too damn much fun on here, just like a bee. See y'all later. It's time for our guys to buzz off. But don't fret, the Hive Jive journey continues with new episodes on the first and third Mondays every month. Until then, you can follow along with the guys on Facebook and Instagram at The Hive Jive. Thanks for listening and be. <laughs>